The past changes a little every time we retell it. Hillary Mantel. Welcome to the Revisionist History Podcast, where we set the historical record straight, no matter who it might offend. I'm Paul, and this is a combination of bonus episode and something of a Sunday ramble. It comes quicker than normal following our last episode, but then I, like most of you, have some extra time on my hands at the moment. What I want to talk about today is not the debunking of myths of the past, but rather a look at something we're seeing every day now, the struggle to write the history of an event in real time, namely the current COVID-19 or coronavirus pandemic. Now your first thought here might well be, what does this pandemic and the crisis it's causing have to do with history? And that's a valid question, especially since it continues to unfold across the globe even as I record this. And that's the point. It is a global event, not seen in over 100 years, going back to the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918. World War II was certainly a global event, and will doubtless have a far greater death toll. I would argue, however, that even World War II didn't have the global impact on day-to-day life that this pandemic is having. World War II barely touched Central and South America, And even in war-torn Europe, Spain, Portugal, and Switzerland remain neutral and, as far as their daily life, largely unaffected. Even in the United States, life went on, albeit with rationing, blackouts on the coast, and millions of men and women serving overseas in the war. By contrast, the COVID-19 pandemic has, essentially, brought life as we know it to a grinding halt almost everywhere. From Asia to Europe to Africa, to the entire Western Hemisphere, schools and businesses are closed, and entire populations are quarantined in their homes. The worst part is that, unlike in a war, the enemy is invisible and cannot be fought by any conventional means. But again, what does this have to do with history, especially revisionist history, which is what we're about on this podcast? Well, in a way, far less important in the short term. The saving of as many lives as possible is obviously the only short-term goal that matters. But critical from a historical standpoint, we're seeing a national and global jockeying for control of the narrative that will have short-term and long-term implications. So here are a few thoughts, and here's where it turns into a bit of a ramble. So forgive me if I bounce around a little bit. Let's start with the United States, since that's where I'm at. Life here has, as I said, ground to a halt. Doctors, nurses, and other medical personnel are waging a heroic battle every day, as most of us shelter at home and hope for the best. But in the corridors of power, something more is happening. From President Trump, to Congress, to state governors, to city mayors, besides just trying to find the best solutions, Our leaders are engaged in a battle over who tells the story and which story we, as citizens, accept. 
This is not the time for partisan bickering, yet we see it every day, and for one simple reason. In this election year, and beyond, the party that controls how we ultimately see the response to the pandemic, good and bad, has the best chance of either gaining or staying in power. Put simply, if President Trump and the Republicans can convince the population that they're doing the best job, taking the right steps, etc., they'll hold on to power in November. If the Democrats can portray themselves as the true saviors, heroes, whatever, in the crisis, while also hammering the errors of Trump's administration and responding to the crisis, then Joe Biden will become the 46th President of the United States. How both sides spin the narrative will impact history going forward, and their victory as a result of that effort will also dictate how the history of this event will be written for decades to come. And if you think this is an oversimplification, or just plain wrong, consider the Spanish flu of 1918 to 1919, mentioned before. The very fact that we call it the Spanish flu actually proves my point. The flu didn't start in Spain. Though we're still unsure exactly where it originated, it was most likely Asia, Europe, or even perhaps Kansas. But it was not Spain. So why do we call it the Spanish flu? Here's why. As World War I continued to rage in Europe in 1918, the flu epidemic ravaged combatants on both sides. With neither side wanting to give the enemy even the smallest bit of morale-boosting news, Great Britain, France, Germany, Austria, and Italy all censored the news about the flu's effects on their troops. Not unlike how North Korea and Turkmenistan are not putting out any news at all about the effects of the coronavirus in their countries today. For all the world knew, there was no flu on the Western Front. But Spain was a country that was neutral, not involved in the war, and thus had no reason to hide the devastation the flu was causing there. Thus, the first reports of the flu's ravages came from Spain, causing everyone outside of the military high command of the warring nations to believe Spain was ground zero. And even with a century of historians correcting this lie, we still call it the Spanish flu. And many, many people still assume it started there. History was revised in real time, and it stuck. We see something eerily similar today, as the Trump administration tries hard to tie the coronavirus to China, while China works just as hard to stop the world from seeing it forever as, quote, the Chinese virus. Now, this will be no easy task for them, as the virus did indeed start in China. But the communist government is in major damage control mode. And I'm not talking about the health and welfare of their people, because we may never know the true death toll in China. They are sending supplies and medical personnel all over the world to help hard-hit areas, and not out of a sense of altruism. China is in real-time historical revision mode, hoping that history will remember them as the saviors rather than ground zero, as heroes rather than as a government that waited far too long to respond to the crisis. What we're seeing with every news conference, every stimulus bill, every tweet from the president, or plane load of aid from China or Russia is an attempt by one side or the other to write the history of the pandemic 
now. And whoever wins this struggle will have a huge advantage, historically speaking, over later historians who try to tell the balanced narrative. The final history of COVID-19 will involve a lot of scientific and medical information, the kind of information that makes people's eyes glaze over. We like simple history, and the more complex the explanation, the less likely it is to become widespread. None of us remember the efforts of scientists to find a flu vaccine in the early decades of the 1900s. We do know that 50 to 100 million people died from a virus that we think started in Spain. As I said before, the focus now has to be on saving as many lives as possible and getting life itself back to normal. But keep an eye on the history too. Keep an eye on what people are saying every day, especially your leaders. It's up to us to guard the facts. Stay well, stay inside, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you're finding this podcast both informative and entertaining. If you'd like to help us keep episodes like this coming, please consider clicking on the support this podcast link in the show notes. It'll help us create more content and go a long way toward making this podcast completely ad free. Thanks again.